The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. So we're at a place here in episode 16 of our series through the this book of Acts that recounts how after Jesus rose from the dead, was around for 40 days or so, he tells them to wait for it. Wait for the ghost. Wait for the Spirit. You think you're all ready to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit shows up. It's amazing, fantastic. Go listen to previous podcasts. Go read it for yourself in this book of Acts written by a guy named Luke. And then uh, about in a, in a couple of weeks' time, like there's 5,000, 10,000 believers, like boom, over, overnight, this thing just goes, goes crazy. And some good things happen. There's some opposition that comes to this by the authorities uh, that Beth just read this to us. Well, also back in chapter 4, they had already been called in front of this council and called out uh, for what they were doing. And uh, Luke then takes a moment here to summarize where we're at in this story, and a few times in this letter, in this book of Acts, it's 28 chapters, it's several pages, he takes a moment to kind of go, okay, so here's what's kind of going on, here's the summary. And he talks about all this healing that's happened, people are freaked out by this new thing, and yet, freaked out, and yet, this is interesting, this is intrigued by this. More and more people coming, becoming believers, they were so intrigued by it that people who weren't even believers go, man, you bring people to the temple here, they get healed, so... It says there, one of the questions that comes here is they, they brought people out so that Peter's shadow might fall across them and, and to hope they'd be healed. Now, understand something here. Read the whole Bible. Read it carefully. We don't know if that ever happened. They brought people out hoping the shadow would fall across them, hoping that that would result in their healing. We don't know if that ever happened. And maybe it did, but uh, there was just this vibrancy, this excitement, this hope that's going on. And the Sadducees are really upset by this. In Israel at this time, um, the Roman uh, is the, Rome is the world empire. They rule over the whole world at that point. But they would allow, uh, in the various cultures and nations that they conquered, they would allow their system of government to kind of operate as a puppet government, making sure they kept the peace. They figured it's better to have them keep the peace than for us to come and come in and impose it. And in Israel, they had a two-party system, similar to ours, but different. Uh, we have, you know, conservatives, uh, liberals, Democrats, Republicans. For them, it was uh, Sadducees and Pharisees, and the parallels aren't the same in terms of one was more liberal, one was more conservative. There was different things that they believed theologically, culturally. The Sadducees were, the you'll see it here in verse 17, were in the positions of authority. There weren't as many of them as there were Pharisees, but they had the money and they had all the power. They were the priests. They were appointed by uh, Rome to be in those positions of priests and high priests and all that. And uh, the Pharisees were, had more people, more people that would call themselves Pharisees, but didn't have all the power. We're going to see both of these parties in play here uh, today a little bit. Uh, the Sadducees are frustrated, upset. They um, arrest them. They put them in jail. It says, during the night an angel came and let them out, which is, here's what's crazy about that. Um, when you read the Bible and don't just read it like a USA Today, just clinical boom, boom, boom report. What's crazy about this is the Sadducees, watch this, did not believe in angels. 
And so they're going to shut this way of Christianity down by putting the apostles in jail. Guess who God sends to get them out? An angel. It's what this God is doing going, you're so cute. You think you have all this power. You're so, you know, you think you're so awesome. And the angel tells them, go back into the temple. Now, if I'm one of the guys that got thrown in jail there, I'm going, did we hear that right? Because what got us here in jail was we were in the temple preaching. That seems like maybe we should go retreat back and maybe figure out a different plan. Maybe we should decentralize this and go out to the villages and not go back in the temple. The angel says, go back in the temple. I want you to see this. If you have your own Bible, a pen or a pencil, um, some things to, to point out, to underline, highlight, however you want to do it is uh, verse 21. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told. As they were told. Um, there's, there's, they were told, the Sadducees said, go directly to jail. The angel says, go directly to church. These apostles just do exactly what they're told. And this is not the main point of this today, but just for a moment here, when, when God is clear to us in the scriptures or in prayer or, or whatever, God is clear, do we just do what we're told? See, I, I've been... Um, around town and stuff like this, and I've seen the t-shirts and the gear that's out there that says we are lions, not lambs, because lions don't let anybody tell them what to do. They, they're in charge, whatever they're. I want you to know right now, you're not a lion. You're a lamb. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, so he's the one that kind of calls the shot, so Jesus says, hey, go back to the temple. Go, I don't like this. This is weird. This feels stupid. This feels dumb. What, what are we doing here? But it's what they just did what they were told. I want to tell you, I wonder if today, if you have anything in your life right now where God's pointing out some things in your life he wants you to deal with. Are you holding off on things? Because you go, I just don't like this. This is weird. Here's the thing you want to pay attention to. When you don't like it and when you think it's weird, you probably ought to really pay attention to that. Because Jesus is not interested in just validating all of your personal values and beliefs. He's here to change you and transform you. So from time to time, he's going to get after some stuff and go, I know you don't like this. It's going to be good for you. So whether it's money, sexuality, forgiveness, you know, we can come up with a lot of things that are going on out there in your life. Is there anything right now where you're just holding off? Is it time just to go, all right, Jesus, noted. It's time to just do what I was told. You made this very, very clear in the scriptures, what's there. It's time to stop making excuses. And just right here, right now, to make a commitment. All right, God, today, at 1025 on a Sunday morning, I'm going to do what I was told. So it's funny, too, because they go back to the temple to what they're told, and the Sanhedrin has no idea. Sanhedrin is this big Jewish council. Yeah. And they go send the guards back to call them out of jail to bring them back in for trial, and the guards get there, and they go to unlock the gate, and there's nobody in there. And they go, wait, the guards are all here, and the doors are all locked. They're not here. This is like Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> like, where'd they go? And what, they didn't have time to tunnel out. They didn't have, I mean, and, and what you might think, too, is there a conspiracy going on here? Is there something going on here right now where Maybe one of these guards is in on something, and they did something to secretly, they're like a closet Christian, that maybe they're into this, and they don't quite know what's happened here, but they're sitting there wondering about it, and I love the irony that just drips all over this, what Luke does here. It's just, it's just so sarcastic when it says, uh, 
in verse 24. It says, When the temple, the captain of the temple guard, and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. <laughs> see, they think they're going to end this thing right here, right now. It's this little religion thing that blew up. We'll put it down. We've seen this go a hundred times. We're going to put this thing down. Wondering where it would all end? No, none of them. Not even the disciples knew 2,000 years later, thousands of miles away at 28753 via Montezuma, a couple hundred believers in Jesus would be following Jesus today. They had no idea where this is all going to end, but Luke is just having some fun with this because Luke knows, Luke's not writing this in the middle of like a news reporter capturing, he's looking back on it. 30 years after the resurrection, there are churches in the capital city of Rome. That's craziness. There's no way a human being could have orchestrated and done all that, especially with the, all the religious and political authorities doing everything they could to just squash you and wipe you out. Uh, and so you've got to picture the scene there. They're going, where's this all going to end? And so they, they convene a council. Okay, so what do we got to do here? Okay, let's get some soldiers here. Let's get some police guys there. Let's go. We know where Peter lives. We know where John lives. We go, let's do all this stuff. And all of a sudden, some guy comes walking, and you've seen the movies like this, where he comes in and goes, um... Uh, excuse me, sirs, and they go, hey, we're busy right now, just go away. Um, well, they said this was kind of urgent, and he delivers a memo, and they open it up. The men you arrested are now back at the temple where you arrested them yesterday. <laughs> Nobody saw that coming. Nobody saw that coming, and so they, they go, what in the world is going on? And they go back to the temple. It says they arrest them quietly. Uh, without violence, they could have, they have gun, guns, they have spears and swords, they, all, they could have just done, all that. you know, right now, what's happening here is this growing, this way of Jesus, it's not called Christianity yet, it's just called the way, or the way of Jesus, this is getting a lot of people here, this is, we got to, this could really go south for us really quickly, so somehow they did it very, very quietly, and they bring them back, and they say, didn't we tell you to stop this? And back in chapter 4, they gave, him a, they gave them a prohibition and a warning, a verbal warning. They knocked this off. We told you to stop this. What are you doing here? And now in one of the verses quoted most widely in evangelicalism in the last two years, quoted, can I just tell you, wildly out of context most of the time, all over social media, over and over again, and you can decide what side of the, the, the issue that I think I'm, you're talking about didn't even make any sense. Just let's shut up. Let's go. Um, we told you to shut up. And Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. We must obey God rather than men. And Christians over the years, especially in the West where we have great freedom, we love to trot that thing out all the time and go, we're not doing what you say because we must obey God rather than men. So a quick thing on that. What about human government and laws? Since we're just going to like, we don't duck and dodge around difficult things here. Um, let's just chat for a second. On human government, where we live, there's some, actually, there's some verses there in Romans 13 and in 1 Peter where it talks about how we're supposed to respond to, to human authorities, to the laws and regulations and rules that governments, that human beings, sinful human beings put in place. How are we supposed to respond to those? Let me just give it to you. I'm going to summarize it for you. When you... When you don't like it or you disagree with it, obey it. That's what you're called to do, not as an American, as a follower of Jesus. You're called, when I don't like it, I disagree with it, 
You're supposed to obey it. Now, look at me for a second. That doesn't mean you don't, can't work really crazy, like hard to change it, to get different people elected, to go change laws and regulations. So get things changed and all that if you can. But when you don't like it, you have, you're, supposed to obey it. you're supposed to obey it. You're supposed to do what it says. And I know there's going to be, well, what about this one? What about this? And what about the Revolutionary War? And what about... Look, overall, you're not being called to take up arms against King George right now. Your issue right now is some simple things like, dry, well, never mind, I'm just going to, <laughs> So when you don't like it and you disagree with it, obey it and try to change it if you can. When, when God disagrees with it and it violates God's standards and God's convictions every time you disobey, every single time, but little side note on this, because some of you are little pit bulls for Jesus. Be very, very careful where you think God has spoken clearly. Well, I just believe God's told me my heart to do it. That was the pizza. That wasn't you. You've got to have something in print. Something that's very, very clear, things that God has written, not just what your political party happens to believe on. on look, look at me. On both sides do this nonsense all the time. Um, and no matter what, whether it's to... I don't like this, and obey it, or it violates God's standards, and I'm going to disobey it every single time, always with respect. We don't sit up there and go, those stupid good-for-nothing, and call them out and call them all kinds of <laughs> Christian swear word names on social media, or demean them and slander them. Look at the, the men in the fight. Read the book of Daniel and see how those guys stood up to authority over and over again with great respect to absolutely godless, despicable men, always with respect. And then what's fascinating here, we must obey God rather than men. And what I would expect to come next in the West is we would get out the Sanhedrin books, we would get out the Roman uh, laws and all that kind of thing, and put together all of the regulations that they're violating right now about how they're trying to stamp out our free speech and stamp out our, well, our freedom of expression and all that. And they don't do any of that. They don't make it about them. You know what they come back to? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single time. Uh, this is what it means to be a Christian. And they, they talk about it here. Beth just read it for us where it says, God raised him after you, after we killed him. God put him in place of honor. He ascended. Now he's king of all kings and lord of all lords. And he did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and turn to God to be forgiven. Here's the deal. This is what it means to be a Christian. Uh, being a Christian is not about coming to church. Being, you're not a Christian because you were born into the United States of America. No matter what our money says, in God we trust. You're not a Christian because you're an American. You're not a Christian because you're a Republican. Some of you are going to like freak out over that right now. Or even a liberal Democrat on the other side. We sometimes, we put our values so much to, well, this is what makes people Christians. You're not a Christian because you are, you have better morality than the Christian fools that sit in church every week. It's not about all the good things that you have done and you have really lived up to a super high standard. You're not a Christian because of, let me make sure I say this right, because of being good enough, conservative values and behavior, progressive values and behavior. It's not even spirituality. It's not even coming to church, joining a small group, doing all the things that we as a church tell you to do. Now, all those things are great. We're not saying those things are bad. We're saying that none of those 
gets you right with God. The only thing that gets any human being right with God is to recognize that 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus showed up on the scene, claimed to be fully God and fully man. And he said, they're going to kill me, and they're going to put me in the grave, and three days later, I'm going to come out, and then he ascended up off the Mount of Olives, and he reigns now as King of kings and Lord of lords. And becoming a Christian, becoming a Christian means I believe that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago counts for me today. It's not about my effort. And I just got to believe there's some of us in here, because we live in the West, and we have, we have Christianized culture all around us, I would bet sitting here today, a couple hundred people here today, there may be a person or two here that has never come to terms with that, that maybe you fake people out, or maybe you've been a good person, or whatever, or maybe you're newer to all this and wondering, okay, so how do you really become a Christian, and what does all this mean? So today, I'm going to give you a chance to close the deal right here, right now. So we're going to pray, and I'm going to pray like I'm becoming a Christian for the first time. You can use these words and let this just be the expression of your heart right now and close the deal with Jesus. So everybody, just we're going to close our eyes, bow our heads, whatever you want to do. I'm going to pray, Jesus, today, I recognize I am not right with you. And God, I have tried either in rebellion and sinning or in religion and just trying to be good. None of it matters, God. I'm here today just confessing the fact that I have fallen short. Hmm. I've even fallen short, God, of my own standards. I don't live up to my own morality let alone yours. And so today, I'm surrendering. I'm repenting of everything that I am. And I believe that what you did for me 2,000 years ago on the cross to die in my place for my sin, I'm receiving that today as a gift. I give you my whole life. I'll spend the rest of my life figuring out what it means to discover and follow you. Amen. If that's you today, Chat with me after church when we're done here. I'll be hanging around here on the connection card that Crystal and Rudy had you fill out a few minutes ago. Just drop me a note about that. There's no right or wrong way to say that. Just I did that prayer. I prayed that prayer. I think it's whatever that is. If today's the day, let's, let's talk about that. Again, we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to, but anyway, whatever that is, let's, let's chat about that. Now, they preached the gospel to these people who were the ones that condemned Jesus to death and said, hey, even you fools can get saved. You killed him. God raised him. It's even for you. You can, you can be part of this. Uh, sometimes when the gospel is preached, people welcome it and they love it. It's like, yeah, this is amazing. And then sometimes, hmm, verse 33, when they heard this good news of the gospel, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. Uh-oh. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, Gamaliel is probably the most prestigious leader of the Pharisee party at this point. He was raised, for those of you that pay attention and study history, uh, another more famous rabbi even than him was a guy named Hillel. He was like the guy, if you're Jewish, everybody knows who Rabbi Hillel is from thousands of years ago. Uh, We also know that uh, Paul, who was first named Saul, who became Paul, who's a terrorist trying to wipe out the church of Jesus, was trained in the school of Gamaliel. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men uh, be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, uh, the men of Israel, slow down. Take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow, that dude, Thutis. 
which is a weird name, but Thutis, who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed. All his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas. Thutis and Judas, their names rhyme. It's Dr. Seuss here, um, of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all his followers were scattered. So my advice is leave these men alone. Let them go. If they're planning and doing these things merely on their own, it'll soon be overthrown. But if it's from God, you'll not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. Fascinating here. Quick little night here. When we want to freak out about opposition, not about just Christianity, but what, 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 what are firm convictions that you have about things that are going on here? Sometimes we want to get out there, we're going to fight. We're going to go raise up and just keep going out there. And what, you know what you do when you do that sometimes? You poke the, a sleeping bear. Sometimes it's better. The best thing to do to win is just say nothing. Let the opposite just, just lay there. Because if you poke him and prod him and stuff like that, all he, what Gamaliel is saying here is these guys are just going to rise up to get over that opposition. Just let it be. Keep an eye on it. Just let it be. It's also fascinating here, though, too, that we, we know. Look at verse chapter 6, uh, verse 7. It says, God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted, too. You see what's happening here? The Jewish priests hated Jesus because he violated the temple, the laws, according to all that stuff. I wonder what's going on in Gamaliel's head going, dude, I got a couple buddies here, uh, Nicodemus and Joseph. Those of you that have grown up going to church, you've heard Nicodemus and Joseph before. Fill the gaps where these guys were part of this ruling council here. These guys become followers of Jesus, become Christians, and he's going... Man, what, what, what Luke is doing here is going, look, even the opposition is getting infiltrated. This is where Jesus says, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell or religion will be able to stop it. And it's already just happening here. And because of how they respond here, it's beautiful and amazing. Um, so you think, let them go. So the apostles maybe think, okay, they're going to let us go. Not so fast. Verse 40, the others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. They got beat. Probably not Roman flogging like Jesus received from uh, the Roman guards with the cat of nine tails and the flesh, but a whip and stuff that would bruise and cause some bleeding there. They got beat up. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Now, don't look at your Bible. Look at me for a second as I read this because I don't want you to skip ahead. Some of you go, don't. The apostles left the high council, and what would you expect coming next? Sad, go to the hospital, lay low for a while. Yeah, all. the apostles left the high council. Look down at your Bibles now. Rejoicing, if you have a pen or pencil here, if you have a highlighter, a marker, circle, hashtag, highlight, whatever you want to do, rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. The actual word Messiah means Jesus is king. This is, in Roman culture, when you went to any temple, to any business deal, you know what you said every time? Caesar S. is Kurios, Messiah. Caesar is king. 
They go, no, he's not king. Jesus is king. Um, it's fascinating here, this, this new pathway, this new perspective on suffering. It's fascinating here that they rejoiced, and it says, and every day in the temple from house to house, they didn't, they didn't go retreat into hiding. They, they, they didn't go out and protest at the temple the shameful treatment they received. They did not go get pictures and post them all over social media. Look at the shameful treatment we received. We should th- Let's recall the Sanhedrin. You know what they did? Here's the message for you whenever you face any kind of opposition in your life. Stay on message and stay on mission. And the reason, they, the reason that Christianity went all over the world is because they didn't make it about themselves. Even if they got beat up and it was completely unfair, see, every other, here's what religions will do. And sadly, even in America, let me just step right in it with you. If you're not already offended today, just be ready. What the Christian religion has done is we made it all about us. And Jesus would go, would you just stop that and just preach the gospel? And if they're going to beat you and persecute you, make a mess out of your life, you know what's going to give you authority in your message? You just keep going with the message. And then it's like, man, that, that has some weight and authority to it. That's what revolutionized the planet. They were given, they, they were given a prohibition and a warning in chapter 4. In chapter 5, they get prohibitions and a beating. Unless you think, well, okay, then that's going to be where it goes. <laughs> prohibitions and executions are coming next. And it's going to get, it's, here's what I'll tell you today. If you think your life is bad right now, it's probably going to get worse. Especially if you're a Christian. Some of you are going, I just prayed that prayer to be a Christian. Can I? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just telling you. Now, what's beautiful about this is they have this new pathway in suffering. They have this new pathway in suffering because they have, they have a perspective on suffering that we do not share in the West. In the West, our perspective on suffering, I want to say our, I mean mine. My perspective on suffering is I see suffering as a drag to be avoided at all costs. If we told you today, we want you to experience some suffering, some uncomfortable for Jesus, we're not going to use the air conditioning today, we would have 30 people maybe here today. In the West, we have pleasure and comfort are really great values that we have here. In some ways, we've been thrown them as gods and goddesses over our culture. There's a reason we have 57 wineries out in wine country. I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm just telling you, we, want, we love pleasure. We, we, like, new restaurants open, like probably by the time we get done speaking today, a new restaurant will open in Old Town. There's new stuff, pleasure and comfort. Look, and I'm saying yes for pleasure and comfort. I'm not saying that any of that is, is bad, but I avoid discomfort and pain and suffering at all costs. If bad stuff happens to me, trust me, in the last two years, I did everything I could to escape it at all costs as, as soon as possible. As soon as I get out of it, let's figure out a way to mitigate that, or I try to numb the pain and push the pain down. I don't welcome this pain like these guys do that day. Or I freak out and I lash out other people who are jerks, idiots, fools, whatever you want to call them, who created this suffering for me. Just a quick note here. In the West, where we live and work right now, 
can I just tell you right now that we, we will undergo difficulty and, and suffering and stuff like that in our world. But none of us in the West is suffering persecution for the cause of Christ. Not one of us. And we should probably stop, and none of you probably do this, so it probably is people that aren't here listening to this today, should stop posting things about all, whatever the issue might be right now in the last couple of years especially, about, oh my gosh, persecution for the cause of Christ. Because when people who are over in Afghanistan are being persecuted for the cause of Christ, I just want to go, would you just shut up? It so demeans people that really are suffering. Now look, we deal with uncomfortability. And there is pain and difficulty that comes into our lives. And sometimes there is opposition and mocking. When you have certain standards, you go into your workplace and talk about what the Bible standards are on the exclusivity of Christ, on the eternal duration of hell, and on gender and sexuality, all that kind of stuff. That's probably not going to go too well for you. Probably not. There's probably going to be some difficulty with that. Peter's going to remind us, though, Peter, who's here speaking in front of the Sanhedrin that day, he writes a letter uh, many years later over, it's called 1 Peter, it's in the back of your Bible, so go over to the right and find the book of 1 Peter. First Peter chapter 4. In the book of Peter, he over and over again talks about difficulty and persecution and suffering. Nero's the emperor right now, and Christianity is being just getting the snot kicked out of it. Peter says, hey, be happy when you're suffering for being a Christian, for the glorious Spirit of God rests on you. And then he says, and if you suffer, however, it must not be for murder. <laughs> so you go, well, of course, like in the culture, everybody's, if you murder people, we're going to make you suffer. It must not be for stealing. He's writing to Christians, not writing to the, to the world at large. He has to tell the Christians, quit stealing things. If you steal from work and you get in trouble, you shouldn't be getting trouble for stealing things or making trouble or prying into other people's affairs, equated with murder, also known as social media in America today. He said, so what he's telling you, telling us is if you're being persecuted, make sure it's not because you're a jerk. If you're being a jerk, just stop being a jerk. Even, don't be a jerk for Jesus either. We, God, there's enough of those out there. But he says, no matter what the frustration, aggravation, opposition, or even persecution might be, here's the clarifying question, the big question for us today. It's going to come up here on the screen right now. The clarifying question comes out of here in the book of Acts. What if we could see suffering as a privilege and not a penalty or a punishment? Now, again, here's some amens. That's right on that. You know what that is, though? That's crazy talk. If you start telling people, yeah, I'm going to suffer, and I see suffering as a privilege, they're going to go, we've got to get that guy checked in someplace. Because the culture and the values we live in, everything's come by. Why would you want to bring suffering on? Now, look at me. This is not also saying seeing suffering as a privilege isn't like, yeah, God, bring on the suffering. You'll pray that way one time. God will answer that prayer. You'll never pray that way again. But he says here, these, these apostles, they left there rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. I'm going to give you four reasons why we can be excited about suffering and not just see it as a penalty or a difficult thing. Number one comes from the book of 1 Peter. In 1 Peter 1, you're going to look at these verses in the intersect questions that are in your program. Uh, whether you're in a small group or not, you should take a look at those questions and look up those verses. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he, he talks there, 
uh, about the idea that uh, in verse 7, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. Number, the number one reason is suffering verifies that your faith is real. Because look, man, anybody can follow Jesus when everything's good. When you keep following Jesus because of Jesus and it, it, it gets you in trouble, or you're going through difficult times and you pray and ask God to get you out of the mess and He doesn't, suffering will verify that that faith is real. It shows what's really there. You know how that is too. When the heat gets turned on, that's when the real me comes out. The real me is not the thing I can just keep the way everybody sees all the time. The real me is what's really inside there, and real me comes out when life gets really crazy and difficult. Uh, number two, the second great perspective on suffering is that suffering makes me a better person. It purifies my faith. It gives me quality faith and quantity of faith. It makes me a better, deeper person. All the suffering does that. Peter uses the analogy here of the idea of gold refined in the fire. Now, has anybody ever seen gold just taken out of the ground? Some of you watch that show, that gold mining show that my son watches that like crazy. They get gold out of the ground. When gold comes out of the ground, does it look nice? Yeah, it does. Now, it doesn't look as nice as it could, right? But you see the gold in there and go, man, that's awesome. It's beautiful. It's sparkly. It's gold and all that. The gold never becomes what it's supposed to be until they get it in the fire. I don't know if I need to connect the dots for you on that. You are never going to become the person that God wants you to be until you go through the fire, ever. Now, the fire won't consume you. It won't burn you up completely, but it's going to purify a bunch of the nonsense and the sin and the foolishness that God wants to get out of your life. And that's why in James chapter 1, Jesus' little brother, he says there, brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. That, that word considered there is very important. Because when troubles come my way, and I just react out of what comes naturally, you know what comes out of me? Not great joy. All the things we lashing out and freaking out and whatever, not great joy. In order to see suffering as a privilege, I have to consider. I have to breathe for a moment and go, everything in me wants to freak out right now and lash out. Stop. Instead of doing what everybody else does with that, consider opportunity for joy. It's going to make me a better person that no trial is ever wasted. Guys, in my life, I went through things that I go, this is awful and terrible. And the only thing that got me through it was like, God used this. I knew God was using it to do something in my life. I didn't feel at the time. I was praying, God, make it go away right here, right now. But I'm telling you, God, that's the hope that we have, that he's, he's, he's using this somehow in my life to make me a better person. Um, I was talking to Rebecca. She's our children's ministry director here at Cross Point. And she was talking about some trials and suffering that she's gone through. She was doing a, a staff, uh, leading a staff meeting for us and talking about the scars that we have in our life. She talked about some of these scars that I have, they were painful and awful when I was going through them. It was hideous and terrifying. She says, and yet I look at it now and go, I would not be the person I am today without them. It's, I'm just telling you, some of you are nodding your heads going, I can bring a person after person up here going, I look, I'm not voting for it, and I wouldn't go, let's go back and do that again. But I'm telling you, something happened in that trial that just made me a better person. It increased the quality of my relationship with God, God the quality of my faith. Uh, number three, suffering gives us solidarity with others. You might want to write the word down, empathy, uh, there if you want. Uh, I'm going to read the verse. It's going to be up on the screen as well. You can turn there in your Bibles as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 
I'm going to start at verse 5. Some of the ver- It'll get up here on the screen in a second. It says, The more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things that we suffer. You know that some of the reasons that you have gone through things in your life physical disease, financial hardship, marriage trouble, mental health issues, infertility, bankruptcy. I, God, we can try to hold this. You know the reason you did it? It may not even have been about you. It may be that God knows, hey, in six years, Jennifer, Kelly, Shane, they're going to meet somebody that's going to need this story. And they're going to see a Christian that was able to get through this thing. And they'll be able to empathize with them because here's the deal. When it comes to people going, when when all hell breaks loose and the wheels come flying off in somebody's life, people don't need knowledge at that moment. What they need is empathy. And look, empathy will give you the authority to speak into their lives in ways that you never could otherwise. Guys, I'm telling you, my own life, I I could, story after story up here where that's happened for you guys. For me, middle school was awful for me. I won't narrate all the details to you. It was just terrible. Um, I bullied and all kinds of crazy stuff there, and yet I look at it and go, 12 years old to when I was 29, 30 years old to work with kids at a church in a middle school department. And guys, I was not, <laughs> was not, I'm still not all that cool. You guys, you're not cool at all. Um, I don't surf, I don't skate, I don't have any tattoos, I don't do anything cutting edge, reckless. You know, once in a while I play golf, you know, woo. <laughs> <laughs> and yet what gave me some authority in those kids' lives, I remembered middle school for me. I wasn't one of the cool kids. I was, it was awful most of the time. But oh, God did there. I, uh, th- there's a lady on staff here, Kristen. Uh, some of you will know her story. She went through cancer a couple years ago and had all the surgeries and the treatments. It was awful and terrifying for her. And we were wondering, we were praying for God to just cure her, and he didn't. He took, she had to go through all that. She's in remission now. She's doing fine right now. She's great. We were talking about this whole idea here is that it gives you empathy and authority. She says, you know, it was awful and terrible, but I got a little girl and a little sixth sixth grade little girl in my small group, and her mama has cancer right now. And she said, I'm telling you right now, I'm prepared for this, to help that girl, to help that mom right now in ways that I never would have been able to. She said, I would go back and I would do it again for what I'm able to do here. It's beautiful. And I saved the best for last. Suffering doesn't just give us solidarity with us. It doesn't make us better people and validate our faith. Suffering gives us solidarity with Jesus. Did you see what they said there? They rejoiced that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Do you catch the irony? Again, the irony in all this. A qu- less, less than a quarter mile from where those men were flogged several weeks before Jesus had been flogged. And then taken out, let out, and crucified. And they go, man. Jesus got to do that. Jesus did that. We get to do that. We were counted worthy. He, he said, you got, I, I'm going to put this on you. Counted worthy to suffer for, for Jesus. Now, when Jesus suffered, understand something here. Jesus didn't just say, bring it on, let's go to the cross. There was a moment in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's screaming, God, make this go away. I don't want to do this. Is there any other way to, to, get, to, to, to save the world. And God said, mm. and so Jesus would get to the place 
after wrestling with God in prayer, I don't want to do this, but to the glory of God, to the glory of God, I will go through this. And uh, the writer of Hebrews, I think, tells us that he went to the cross scorning its shame. You know what scorning means? <laughs> Spitting on it. That the world thinks they're going to crush me and wipe this thing out for the joy of billions of people coming to a relationship with God. I scorn the shame of what this all means. And then Paul, in the book of Philippians, you're hearing Corinthians right now. I want you all to see this. It's going to be up on the screen as well. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul's talking about how awesome he was before he was a Christian. He said, I did all these things. I had achieved all my hopes and dreams. He said, if anybody had reason to be confident in themselves, to feel good about themselves, that was me. Verse 5, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Man, he said, I have achieved success. I, was, I had it all. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. You know what worthless means? Worth nothing. Because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is, he repeats it, is worthless. When compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. The Bible translators don't know why the word garbage there. That word garbage that they translate garbage here is the word in the Greek language called shkubalon. And if you're wondering what the English translation of shkubalon is, you're right. It's the stuff you, you know, again, in your kitty litter box, you scoop that stuff out of there. Where do you put that? It's garbage, right? But that's shkubala garbage. That's disgusting. He says, compared to Jesus, all those things that I once thought were so important, a big pile of scubala before me. And, and look what he says here. Counting all God so I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And here's the verses right here. The whole thing right here today. If you've, if you've been checking football scores, if you've been daydreaming, right here. I want to know Christ. And that word know Christ is not doctrinal and theological knowledge. This word know is experience. So I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. What Paul wants you and me to know today, what I want you to know today is, guys, I don't want our church to be full of a bunch of religious people that keep all the moral laws and rules and have great families and just do great middle-class Southern California things. I want us to have this idea of, I want to know him. And even if it means suffering, like suffering, I, I want to, I'll suffer with him. Whatever it takes. And all the things I think are so valuable, whether it's success at school, success in, in the making money, a great marriage, Great family, great kids. For some of us with fertility issues, I just want to have kids. I want my marriage restored. I want academic, whatever those things. I want, I want my team to finally make it to the playoffs and win. Hello, Padre fans. Um, <laughs> shut up, I'm a Dodger fan. So you, know, you guys every year just try, and we just think you're so cute, but that's a different thing. <laughs> Keep listening. 
He says, no matter, even for the Padres to get there and get to the playoffs and win the world. Awesome for those of you that are crazy Padre fans or crazy Ram fans or crazy Dodger fans or just crazy fans about anything. To have a child, how awesome it would be. Paul would tell us today all that stuff is compared to how great Jesus is, scubala. Now, he's not saying your children are scubala. He's not saying a baby is scubala. He's not saying the Dodgers are scubala, although Padre fans think they are. <laughs> well, he's not saying any of those things are, are, are bad. He says, compared with how great Jesus is, that's what I want you to know here today. I, I want you to get to know how, how great Jesus is. And I'm telling you this today, guys, I'm not there yet. I'm not up here telling you, I want you to know Jesus is, because I'm just telling you, you should be like, don't be like me. I want you to have this passion of God. Guys, I want more of this. I want to feel Jesus and know Jesus and experience him. And even if it means suffering, if, it's, if, if that's what it takes, uh, God, I'm, you'll give me the grace to get through. I'm not praying, bring it on. But whatever it takes, knowing Jesus like that would be so amazing, so fantastic. Even suffering, it was worth it. I would count it a privilege to suffer disgrace for the cause of Christ. Our band's coming up. We're going to give you a chance even to get to know Jesus better as we not just talk about Jesus. We're going to sing some songs together. As we sing together, we're singing these great songs. I don't remember the lyrics. I was here last night and singing. They're perfect for what we're talking about this weekend. We're going to give you a chance to come and receive communion. Four corners of the room, there's bread and juice that's there. It is the suffering of Jesus, the suffering that he counted himself worthy to suffer disgrace to the glory of God for the sins of the world to save you and me. So we come to that communion table going, because of Jesus' suffering, we're saved. And that bread and that juice reminds us of his body and blood given for us. Our prayer team is in the back of the house today as well. If you have anything going on in your life, suffering and difficulty, don't just go through it by yourself. Come and discover some solidarity with some other friends, some other brothers and sisters here. They're not going to give you counsel. They're going to tell you what to do. They're just going to sit there and be with you and pray for you. And so, Jesus, today, God, by your Spirit, I want to know you. I don't want us to know about you. And God, I don't want to know you because I'm a pastor. I want to know you because no matter what I do or what I've done, I, I get a, an echo of this, a, a whiff of how sweet and amazing that would be. God, I want that in my life. I want that for us in our lives. God, by your Spirit, just whatever that is that needs to happen in my life and our lives, we just say yes. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.